Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. Third time's the charm, and we are here to discuss the February 1980 uh, issue of Uncanny X-Men from uh, number 130, also published in November 20th of 1979, so we're skirting the edge of both the 70s and the 80s at this point. Weird. And this one is titled Dazzler. Dazzler. Glitter hands, glitter hands, glitter hands, glitter hands. Razzle, dazzle, razzle, dazzle. Glitter hands, glitter hands, glitter hands, glitter hands. Razzle, dazzle, razzle, dazzle. Glitter hands, glitter hands, glitter hands, glitter hands. Yes, everybody, the moment that you've all been waiting for the debut of Dazzler. Wait, this isn't the return of. Warren Worthington's father killer? Well, on the cover, when I saw the dramatic debut of the Dazzler, I just thought that they meant that Warren Worthington's uncle had gotten a sex change and became a disco singer. That is uh, definitely a possibility. Oh, I just noticed that the title is all in 3D and it's got all these lights behind it. It's like a disco marquee. Wow. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> it's gaudy and everything. This cover is pretty bad. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, so I did a little bit of research on Dazzler, and uh, I think uh, Marvel and company were expecting great big things from Dazzler. She was, uh, she was originally commissioned by Casablanca Records. I didn't do any research on Casablanca Records, but I, <laughs> I presume that they made some records. Uh, and apparently, Dazzler was uh, designed by Casablanca, Marvel, and then a movie th- company called uh, uh, Film Something or Other. I don't remember. Uh, oh, yeah. I've heard of Film Something or Other. Film Something or Other. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a multimedia character who was going to have a comic book appearance, and then Casablanca was going to develop a a singer and produce that and she was going to have albums and then they were working with this movie company to uh uh to 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 basically make films of the dazzler so dazzler was going to be huge did they ever get an actress or singer no (laughs) (laughs) they didn't get anything so the article that i read on this is is kind of uh uh thin on those details uh, so the company was Filmworks. They were going to work with the uh, tie-in movie. Uh, and apparently when they came to the table with this idea of the disco queen uh, with her powers to make people tell the truth, which was Dazzler's original powers, nobody wanted anything to do with the project. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently in order to get this thing off the ground, Marvel had to get Tom DeFalco from Archie Comics to come in and, uh, well, basically uh, reinvent the character, I guess. And that's when he suggested the light-based powers. Uh, Roger Stern uh, developed the name Dazzler, but I feel like Roger Stern would have been around for the original Dazzler, but maybe not. And I guess guess John Romita Jr. was the designer of Dazzler. This is Marvel Comics, remember. There there are two human torches already, so like renaming some, like using a name that they have already used is not beyond them. Yeah, so... That's kind of the origins of the creation of the character. Uh, They wanted her to be all over the place with the X-Men. They wanted her to cross over to Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and 
and all sorts of good stuff. But uh, oh, oh, she does. Oh, does she? Good. Oh, I can't. She does. I can't wait to follow those stories because <laughs> uh, I guess I'm to be the the resident dazzler expert of our duo here. Unless you've already done that reading, in which case I don't. I don't need to. Oh, I haven't done any of the reading. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so, needless to say, uh, by the time we get here to 1980, I think they're still trying to get the record and a movie deal going. But they wanted to launch everything simultaneously. But since everybody else backed out, uh, I think it was Jim Shooter and Stanley were like, well, based on the strength of this character, let's launch it in the comic books and then develop interest for the character. And maybe we can get the record and the movie deal going. Hmm. And that never happened. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's let's just deal with this comic book. So the the problem that I have with this cover is not necessarily the Dazzler or Dazzler. Uh, she's got some cool disco ball necklaces and shoes and whatnot. But her 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 hips and her thighs are just very <laughs> poorly drawn. It looks like a horse. Well, interesting that you mentioned that because um, I guess. The original character design was to be designed on Grace Jones, who okay, yes, yeah. I, I can't picture. She is a very African woman. <laughs> okay, but what they ended up doing, I guess, when Filmworks was involved, they were heavily into promoting uh, Bo Derek, who was an up-and-coming model at the time. And so they wanted mm -hmm. this character to be designed after her because I think they had a deal with her and they were potentially going to use her as the, well, to play the character. So either way, I mean, Bo Derek, kind of a, she's not fat or anything, but she was kind of a larger woman, wasn't she? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, mm -hmm. I know that she was, she was like, you know, the, one of, one of the models of her day. Yeah. But I do not know what she looked like. Wasn't she yeah. in I thought she had short hair. Well, I th yeah, she may have. I think she was also, wasn't she in Tarzan? Yeah. I think that's her first appearance or something like that. Or sure. her, her first uh, screen uh, title. And anyways, uh, so it, it, the cover, I think of this comic book actually kind of shows how out of touch Marvel may have been with the mainstream <laughs> because this is 19, I guess it, it or I guess they were writing it. In well, who knows when they were writing it, but it, it hit the stands in 1979, right? Yeah. Um, but really, I mean, it's got a cover date of 1980. So, I mean, by this time, disco was very fast dying, and this kind of looks like they want to be on the cusp of <laughs> disco. Yeah, I don't know. Um, this is this is. I I don't. Yeah, this this is definitely a very uh, look at me cover. Yeah, woo. Yep. So the rest of the X-Men are on there, well, at least three of them, uh, Cyclops, Nightcrawler, and Phoenix. And they are blinded by the light that Dazzler is is casting. I don't like the coloring of the cover either. It, it just it doesn't work for me. I don't like the design of Dazzler, and I think it has a lot to do with that little face mask thing of hers. Mm. And probably the whole disco uniform. She's got kind of a weird body. She's twisting a little bit at the hip, but she's got a very small upper body and a very large lower body. It it just it's strange. It is strange. And her waist is tiny for those hips. Well, you know, and this is a uh, this is a John Romita Jr. cover, right? Uh, I mean, so I mean, staying true. This is apparently how he wanted her to look. So no. who knows? 
So as we open up the comic book, as if things weren't bad enough, we get a kind of neon light dazzler title in cursive. <laughs> dazzler. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's very showy. No, I like I like it. I mean, oh, really? I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I'm not gonna get so nitpicky as to nitpick the the font they used. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty cheesy, but that's just me. Um, yeah, this is so. This is written by Chris Claremont, penciled and co-plotted by John Byrne, inked by Terry Austin, lettered by Tom Orzechowski, colored by Glynis Ween, edited by Roger Stern, and editor in chief was Jim Shooter. It's true. And the X-Men, uh, well, rather, uh, Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Nightcrawler, who I thought the professor was taking the team along, like the, all the new X-Men with him. Because, and, uh, and it's true that he just said, uh, Scott, you take Jean to New York, and I'll take the rest of the team to uh, Chicago. But it turns out that the professor actually said, I'll take Wolverine, uh, Storm, and Colossus. And he didn't say anything about Nightcrawler. That is pretty weird. I don't think Nightcrawler he... was just totally left behind. Yeah, I don't think the professor said anything about Nightcrawler, did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> he just said, "I'll take the three that are cool. You take Gene. Uh, you take Gene, and I don't know. We'll <laughs> leave the blue one behind." <laughs> I'm mad at him, as we'll find out in this yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. Boy, the professor really, really holds a grudge, and we'll find out why, for his very petty reason. The uh, license plate of the car that they have pulled up in is Chaz X1. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if the X-Jet is Chaz X2. <laughs> Probably. So they pull up uh, to kind of a, looks like a back alley, or I don't know where they are, but they pull up um, to Delano Street, Lower Manhattan. Uh, now it's filled with junkies and derelicts, and this is apparently is where this mystery mutant is. The X-Men are not too pleased about being here. They must be pretty hoity-toity because they are uh, they do not like being amongst the dredges of society. Well, and look at them. They are all, I mean, they're all, Cyclops and uh, Marvel, or uh, Phoenix rather, are just square-looking tools. <laughs> and then there's Nightcrawler who's like, oh, yeah, I don't wear actual street clothes. I just wear this costume. <laughs> I'm trying to maintain a low profile. He does say, I don't see why the two of you are so nervous. This is my kind of neighborhood. Lots of shadows and lots of things to climb on. And we flip over to a couple of guys who uh, apparently have locked onto these X-Men with some cameras. And they're doing kind of a who's who of the X-Men, showing Cyclops, Phoenix, Nightcrawler, their alter egos, and some of their powers. Not to mention they're telling us, too, what they are. These, of course, are the Hellfire Knights or Goons or whatever they are. Hellfire Minions. <laughs> there you go. Cyclops is 26143. Phoenix is 26144. And Nightcrawler is 26146. Who is 26145? There's no answer to that question. <laughs> Banshee. <laughs> I don't know. You stumped me on that one. Also, how many, like... How many things do the Hellfire Club have they labeled? It's like there's they've got twenty six thousand things that they've labeled. <laughs> That's right. They've ca- these are the twenty six thousand mutants that they've cataloged. These guys have been busy. <laughs> so Cyclops tells Nightcrawler to stay out of sight. So Nightcrawler climbs up the side of the building. 
Oh, we should point out that the uh, one of the Hellfire minions says that in describing Nightcrawler's powers, he says, and he becomes nearly invisible in deep shadow. Yeah. So they're they're kind of altering that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. So still there. Yeah, but... it is still there. It's, now it's not invisible; it's nearly invisible. So they walk into, or they're walking to the place, I guess, the back alley music joint, the club, as it were. And uh, this fourth panel on this page is just horrible. It's a top-down perspective. You see a lamp. The lamp is very well drawn. The stairs are okay, but Marvel girl, or I mean, Phoenix and Cyclops just look out of place, don't they? Well, the lighting just, like, you know, throws everything off. There's just a weird perspective thing going on here, and I don't like it. Yeah, it's not perfect, but, you know, I get it. <laughs> I get what we were going for. So they're climbing the stairs, and apparently they're going to some just raucous, dirty nightclub. Cyclops refers to the mutant that they're looking for as he several times. Yeah. They pass a poster for Dazzler! wonder what that could be. In yet a different font. That, well, that one is actually uh, Warren Worthington's uncle, Dazzler. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can tell by the font. Our uh, mutant could be male or female, young or old. We haven't a clue to its abilities. All we're sure of is that it's a single person, very powerful. It's somewhere in this club. Tell me, Gene, is this where old discos go to die? <laughs> really just working up the point that this is just a skeezy, dirty, nasty place. I have to say, Jeremy, it's a good point, though. Marvel Comics, is this where discos go to die? <laughs> Apparently. I don't even know what that means. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're they're squarishly walking through the club, and there's a whole bunch of just nasty guys. I think this one guy, does his shirt say Kilroy? Oh, I don't know. I can't really with... tell. On the... Did you turn the page already? Yeah. Anarchy. Anar oh, Anarchy, it says. Okay, it's hard yeah. to tell. He's got like some half-drawn tie on him. We're getting like punk rockers very influenced by David Bowie and some Sex Pistols here. Yeah, but what are they doing at the disco? <laughs> well, all of that stuff was kind of blended together in the 70s. I guess. I guess. Like, the, the disco was yet to really develop itself as like this kind of fashionable thing. And it was still kind of punky at 1979. I think disco was on its way out. I think all of that stuff happened like 74, 75. Well, like you said, Marvel's like a oh. couple of years behind. Okay. No. Okay. Fine. Fair enough. So in the Marvel universe, disco doesn't actually die until like 1984. <laughs> it's very David Bowie, though. I mean, David Bowie has like his imprint all over these punks. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure, sure, fair enough. Automatically, Gene shifts into a telepathic report with Scott using the mind link to communicate with him in complete privacy. Yep, he orders her to do a size scan of the area. Uh, this is the first time that she says, uh, scan the crowd with your size scan powers. That's easier said than done, Scott. I can't screen out everyone's thoughts. Some of the images I'm receiving are so vile. So this is something, this is a, a, a trait that all psychic or telepathic people throughout the Marvel Universe will continue to use from here on out is this ability to screen out various people's thoughts. Mm. And I feel like this is the first time that it's being mentioned. Cyclops says that he's going to use his watch. There's a micro-cerebro built into it, programmed with all the data, the main unit recorded about our mutant. The moment I come anywhere near him, the watch's alarm will start beeping. 
And it looks like it is already beeping. There's a little like, light coming off to it. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe he has it. He's setting it for himself first to test it. I don't know. He just can't hear it, maybe. Maybe the mutant standing right next to him. Yep, it's working. It's recognizing me. Oh, yeah. Cyclops. <laughs> I'm a mutant. mutant. Number one. And so uh, as they are looking for the mutant, um, Nightcrawler is bored. He notices some cars parked around, but he doesn't really pay much attention to them. Um, and one of the cars is a delivery truck, which houses two are presumably the very same uh, Hellfire minions. And they're talking to a Mr. Shaw on a busy screen. And one of their names is Rhodey. Yes. Probably <laughs> not War Machine Rhodey. No. R-O-D-I. Yeah, this isn't spelt right. Might even be Rhodey. And so we are then told that only a few blocks down Fifth Avenue from Avengers Mansion stands a building that, like the van, is far less innocent than it looks. This is the introduction to the legendary Hellfire Club. For 150 years, it has been one of America's oldest, most exclusive gentlemen's clubs. Its membership list reads like a who's who of the nation's social, political, and economic elite. Charles Xavier is probably a member. Probably. But within the club is an inner circle open only to a select few, an inner circle who see the club as an avenue to achieving power. Power. So when they say gentlemen's club, I mean, do they mean gentlemen's club of the truest nature? Wow, I didn't, I didn't even go there. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. It could be with the way that the women are dressed. It probably is, right? But the, so they... they oh, why the men are dressed like 18th century... <laughs> oh, it's. I think it's all part of the... You know, part of their airs, right? They, they're like... Oh. They're cosplayers. <laughs> <laughs> or that, one of the two. Hellfire Club are some of the earliest cosplayers. So Jason Wingard is there. He's talking to this roadie dude. Uh, he's warning Shaw and Rhodey that these X-Men are by far the most experienced and dangerous, so they ought to be careful. You know, here in Buffalo, there actually are, like, there, there's a park. There's a park where people will sometimes show up in, like, early 1900s garb. Mm-hmm. So they have, like, the big frilly dresses and the the suits and all that stuff. It's very strange. They're cosplayers too. I never realized. We have some cosplayers that dress up like vampires and roam around downtown. I think 1,900 people are more interested in the vampires. (laughs) Vampires are just kind of (laughs) creepy. We now get our... No offense to our vampire fans. Yeah, well, these are like, you know, pretty vampires, not like like gross vampires, you know. So like uh, Twilight vampires? Yeah, just like, like glisten when they take off their shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we get our first glimpse of Sebastian Shaw, no longer in shadows, as he turns around and says that uh, he didn't build a billion-dollar empire from nothing by making mistakes or underestimating his opponents. So he's ready for these X-Men. In the meantime, I'll continue... My work subverting Miss Gray, says Jason Wingard, and gathering her of her own free will into our fold. And this time it is Shaw who says he'll believe it when he sees it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma Frost checks in to find out what's going on in Chicago. She reports that they've caught uh, all of the X-Men, most of which are stripped naked. Mostly naked, anyways. Apparently, after... 
Well, last issue they said, once we bring these guys to the lab, we'll go capture, capture Professor Charles Xavier. Because I had to look back, because I didn't remember them capturing Professor Charles Xavier. But apparently they did bring mm-hmm. the X-Men back to the lab and went out and caught Charles Xavier, and it was pretty easy. <laughs> apparently. It doesn't even merit a flashback. Nope. They just walked up, and they're like, Charles Xavier? He's like, yes. And they just hit him over the head with like a baseball bat. Get oh. in the van. Uh, so the there's Colossus, Wolverine, and Storm. Uh, they're in these little kind of like the Sentinel tubes that we saw uh, a few, well, lots of issues ago. But these are actually like bird cages, and apparently they're specifically designed to negate each one's powers. So right, and apparently, as we will learn, they are also making it difficult for them to think. So she reports that that she's taken them, uh, and uh, they don't need to worry about the girl that got away. Her name was Kitty Pride. They don't know what her powers are quite yet, but they think that they can probably persuade the father to get into Emma Frost's prestigious private prestigious private school. Now, when she says persuade her father to enroll her in my Massachusetts Academy, does that mean she owns a Massachusetts Academy or just the one that she attended? Or the one that she works for. I'm confused. <laughs> Based on what we've read, we don't know. Based on what we will find out, she runs a school. Hmm. But we won't find that out this issue. So spoilers, post-spoilers. <laughs> At this point, Kitty Pride uh, phases through the uh, wall to kind of uh, hear what's going on. She's uh, surprised, sort of, that she was able to do it again. I thought real hard, and I walked right through that wall like it wasn't even there. It gets easier each time I do it, too. Okay, I've snuck my way into here, now what the heck do I do now? Great, is that Kitty Pride's voice? <laughs> I don't know, it's a work in progress. <laughs> uh, so we get a four-panel uh, flashback of Emma Frost, the X-Men, Meeting, going to the ice cream shop, the fighting, and uh, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that we covered last episode. Yeah. Uh, And so after Kitty recalls all of that, she decides that she needs to help the X-Men. Especially Storm, because Storm is her friend, and she can't desert her or the others. Storm is actually, from what appears in the next panel, she's the one that is the farthest away. (laughs) You're right. So she, she runs over to talk to Storm. Yep, that's exactly what has happened. Aurora, it's me, Kitty. Kitty Pride. Meow. <laughs> oh. But uh, Aurora is like partially drugged, but she thinks maybe it's the inhibitor field that might be affecting her mind as well as her powers. When we were captured, we were searched to the skin. They took my lockpicks, but aha, they missed this tag. Worked into the fabric of my costume. It's a small tag with a phone number on it. <laughs> Yeah. Just in case I need to give it to someone. Now that is preparation. Well, there might come a time when all of my lockpicks are taken, so I better put the mansions or, or whatever phone number. I may as well. I may the phone s- number for the car. The car, as we'll find out. Uh, I might sew that into my suit just in case it comes up. No, no, no. This is the mansion. I don't want that one. Let's see. Uh, here is no. That's that's uh, that's Wolverine's that's number. phone number. Uh, let's see. <laughs> No, no, yes, the Rolls-Royce's car phone. Here it is. Here it is. <laughs> this is the one that I want. It turns out her, her costume is actually uh, sewed up, just a bunch of tags sewed together. <laughs> it's like every phone number in her life. She just has to yeah. search around for the right phone number. Well, this won't do. This is my orphanage in Kenya. <laughs> 
Kitty, take this. Find the telephone and call the number I'm giving you. Tell whoever answers what happened. Run for it, little one. Get out of here. And run she does. Because she spotted Miss Frost. There's someone by the cages. It's a kid. And that's when Miss Frost reaches into Kitty's mind and stops her dead in her tracks. Yep, she falls over. She's put into one of the canary cages. And uh, we flip our attention back to the disco. Wait, no, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> no, Miss Frost does not do that at all. Rather, she doesn't have powers at this moment or something. She doesn't do anything. Maybe she's a little too far away. Yeah. I'm just so tired. You go get her. <laughs> Kitty runs away from the doors. The Hellfire goons chase her. And as she's getting towards the end of the room, she dives into the ground, phases through it, and the Hellfire goons are like, oh, man, we're so far away from the doors now. That's why she ran back here. She suckered us away from the doors. Cretans! <laughs> By the time they reach this level, this uh, below the girl could be anywhere. Show the complex. Organize the teams. I want Kitty Pride found at once. And she is angry. Meow. <laughs> she is just livid. So if I was the writer of Kitty Pride, I mean, she's experimenting with her, her powers and stuff. I would have one scene, not here because there's too much action and too much danger, but maybe a little earlier on, where while she's experimenting with her phasing power, she inadvertently phases out of her clothes. And it doesn't have to be sexy or anything. It'd, it'd just be like, oops, I'm so embarrassed. And then she would be like hesitant to use her powers for that reason. That's what I would have done. Well, <laughs> you... Are not the writer? <laughs> I am not. Um, I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever even think of that. I don't think that that's ever been done. But, you know, because she but seems yeah, it's to... It's a good thought. It's a good thought. She's too... Her using her power, like it was like a couple of weird things happened in the beginning. But then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I'll just phase through things. And, you know, there's no like reality here. Maybe it's something to do with the clothes proximity to her body. She has like a, a field around her maybe or something. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Well, anyway. I mean, scientifically, her power makes very little sense. <laughs> so she, we flip over to the disco. Jean is looking around. She's at this point thinking that maybe Cerebro might have made a mistake. She's not even a quarter century old, yet she's fallen in love, died, resurrected herself, and saved the universe. She knows she once possessed the power of da 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 a god. So this puts her at about 24 years old. So that's good. That's interesting to know. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when suddenly from out of the crowd, uh, Jason Wingard drops in. Wasn't he just over at the Hellfire Club? I guess maybe it's really close by. Yeah, sure. Okay. Do you remember me? I'm Jason Wingard. We met in Starnaway. Oh, yes. I. And suddenly reality changes around Jean. The 20th century gives way to the 18th, a lower Manhattan disco to a burned out church in a woodland glade that will one day become part of Fifth Avenue. Unlike the previous time slips, Jean doesn't even try to fight her way out of this past. This time, she accepts what's happening. And she's led to an altar where Sebastian Shaw is dressed up as an 18th century minister reading from a Bible. And he is getting ready to marry these two. Not only that, but he does. Yes. Wilt thou, Lady Jean, have this man? Oh, yes, yes! <laughs> he does. She doesn't even stop. Like, she wants it. <laughs> and so uh, he, she becomes Mrs. Wingard. And as Jason lifts off the veil... Uh, he says, you're mine now, milady, bound to me till the end of time. 
Lord, I wouldn't have it any other way. And that's when he whips off her, uh, I guess, cloak. Yeah. To reveal her wearing another cloak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One layers cloak. Layers layers of cloaks. She's got a bustier, I guess is what that is. She's got uh, her black underwear. She's got some leather big boots. She's holding a whip. She's got a red corsage. She is the Black Queen. Where is she keeping that whip? I have no idea. <laughs> and what is she going to do with it? Well, so yeah, we get our first appearance of the Black Queen. She's got a smirk on her face. She's like, oh yeah, I'm the Black Queen. Oh yeah, I'm evil. And she embraces Jason Wingard and they have a emotional kiss. Shaw is smiling in the background. But of course, this scene gives away back to the disco, where Shaw is replaced by Cyclops, who's like, "What? <laughs> what the?" Gene <laughs> is like, "What? Am I? Who am I kissing? What's going on?" Yes, Gene says, "Exclamation mark! Question mark! Exclamation mark!" Cyclops says, "Question mark! Exclamation mark! Question mark!" So it all makes sense. Gene says, uh, "Gene turns from Jason, and Jason's just sitting there with kind of a." He's just got a smirk on his face. And so, oh, yeah, I got a smooch. Oh, yeah, I got a little something-something. And she says, Scott, let me explain. But she thinks to herself, well, I don't know what to explain. Did an ancestor of mine marry an ancestor of Wincard's? Uh, who was that woman? Who in those clothes? <laughs> what kind of woman was she? Scott? And Scott's like, nah, I've never really seen her like that, but... Uh, Oh, it's the announcer. <laughs> like any normal man who just saw his girlfriend or love of his life making out with somebody else at the disco would be like, what the? Like that would be the end of it. There would be no focusing on anything else whatsoever other than getting to the bottom of what he just witnessed. Scott's very good at blocking things out. <laughs> <laughs> just pushing it down. Push it down to your feet. Just like mom said, push it down to your feet. <laughs> no problems. Focus on the mission at hand. <laughs> And the gold pantalooned uh, <laughs> announcer. <laughs> yes, she says, ladies and gentlemen, here's the honey you all been waiting for. Dazzler! Dazzler! Out she comes. She's got arms outspread. She's holding the microphone, which is wrapped around her leg. The house band starts a pounding rhythmic intro, and she's there. Vision in skin-tight silver, silhouetted in an awesome light show that shifts in color. Scott thinks to himself, wow, I know zilch about disco, but this lady is good. <laughs> and that's when his uh, watch starts going off, and he thinks to himself, the alarm's buzzing. The micro-cerebro scanner has finally found our neo-mutant, and it's Dazzler. It's a lady. Oh, my God, and here I've been calling her a him. Meanwhile, outside, the phone begins to ring in the X car chaz x1 chaz x1 yep if you weren't expecting any cut i wonder who it could be says nightcrawler who's been waiting outside this whole time boy he was mad when i told him i was no longer using my image and do sir god or fate or dumb luck made me what i am and i won't hide anymore not even for the x-men which explains why the professor refused to mention him last issue yeah cyclops Please tell Nightcrawler that I'm not talking to him until he uses <laughs> his image inducer. I'm right here, Professor. Cyclops, please tell Nightcrawler that I will not acknowledge him until he wears his image inducer. 
it's Kitty, of course, and she's she's found a phone, I guess, in the machine parts room. I'm Kitty Pride. Herrero told me to call this number. She and her friends and Professor Xavier have been captured. <laughs> Wait, slow down, girl. I need the details. Who captured the X-Men and where are they being held? I wouldn't worry about that, freak, considering you'll be joining your mutant buddies before too long in a, one of those Hellfire... Uh, what, what did we call them last issue? Knights, maybe? The Knights, yes. Hellfire Knights. And their big armor suit rips the door off of the limo. Racked. Nightcrawler bamps upside down. Onto a fire escape. He wants to go warn the others, but the, the knight says, uh, Teleporting won't save you this time, Nightcrawler. We know all your powers, and we're equipped to deal with them. He uses a sonic beam, which Nightcrawler notes is just like the one Cyclops used during a test sequence in the Danger Room. In issue number 125. So I'm almost wondering if that's just kind of put there so that we, the reader, understand that the tests that Cyclops put the X-Men through were valid and that the the professor's out of touch. The, The point is that the tests that the Cyclops has been putting them through have been watched. Oh... Wait a minute. Why would they attack him with a test that he's already gone through? Yeah, that's kind of dumb. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd be like, well, he's probably already practiced a defense for this attack, so we should not do this one. We should do anything but this attack. Well, they probably have been watching enough that they realize that he hasn't figured out oh. a defense against this one yet. <laughs> uh, so he he's hit with the sonic thing. He can't concentrate. He can't even think. And that's when the Knight of, Hel- Knight of Hellfire walks up the wall Spider-Man style. What? Somehow he's coming up the wall after me. This bruiser seems to have thought of everything. Thanks to that verdammt sonic ambush, I'm in no decent shape to fight. But for all his sakes, I've got to fight and win. So inside of the disco, uh, Jean's, Jean can't pay attention to the mission now. She's like, Scott, I'd like, I need to talk to you. Yeah, but when we're far away from this madhouse, okay, Jean? Somewhere private. Also, somewhere peaceful, because private just won't do. It has to be like a really scenic area. In order to take this in, I'm going to need flowers. Lots and lots of pretty flowers. I'm kind of a girl that way, and I'm okay with that. Why does he need someplace peaceful? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's secretly very angry at the situation that's developed. <laughs> we'll leave after this set, after we've introduced ourselves to Dazzler. Ooh. And that's when two more Hellfire Knights burst into the crowd and Scanner marks three mutants, one on stage, two in the crowd. Take them. Dazzler says, what in? Who in blazes are, huh? And that's when Phoenix changes Cyclops' uniform or his suit jacket into his uniform and her own clothes into Phoenix. She transformed my street clothes into my costume just like that. I'm beginning to wonder if there's any limits to Phoenix's power. Certainly not in the costume department. (laughs) She can do whatever she wants. In fact, Moira McTaggart actually told me that she's naked most of the time and just projecting clothes around her. (laughs) Uh, And and if if there isn't, how much longer can Jean keep it under control? Still, it's kind of nice to have that muscle on her side in a fight, even though she's cheating on me, that dirty bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Knock him off balance, Phoenix. Let's cover these clowns as fast as possible to avoid panicking the people in here. But the clowns are ready. A ball of energy envelops Phoenix, and she crumples, and they throw a, uh, what is this? It's like Ruby Quartz Silly Putty over his head. Yeah, it's kind of a cool idea. 
Yeah. We already know that he can't blast through ruby quartz, so it's it's kind of smart that yeah. they can they can do that. But here's where he says that beam is exactly like the trap the professor like a trap the professor devised for the danger room. So that's that's what led me to believe that uh, that's where they're getting all these ideas from. It scrambles a person's brainwaves. The effect is like psychic epilepsy. But to be effective, the beam has to be attuned to its target's specific brainwave pattern. How could they have known genes? And that's when he gets hit with the ruby quartz silly putty. Dazzler says, This is insane. Those refugees from Starship Troopers seem to be after me. Look at Camper Victor, Casper Van Diem. He's so dreamy. They're talking about the book, Jeremy. You oh. realize there was a book before there was a movie. Well, I was wondering, like, that movie came out way after this comic book. That's what teleported far into the future. Uh, I don't know. How do you even remember that Casper Van Diem, who is, like, nobody now, was in that movie, <laughs> which was horrible? <laughs> I have no idea. But anyways, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she she should hot foot it out of here, but at this moment she is too darn mad. Chuckles, I had one dynamite debut go until you jokers crashed the gate. Now it's ruined. So this was her first singing uh, performance, I guess, in this divey skeezy club. Which you know I can see why she would be upset, but I would think that this would actually give her notoriety. Yeah, Dazzler's debut performance in the skeezy club, ruined by you know thugs and that would give her some some press she gets a little street talk going here and she's like and for that sucker you gonna pay i think uh all of dazzler's lines should be read to the tune of dancing queen and for that sucker you're gonna pay <laughs> yeah. that's pretty terrible but you should you should do that too yes we both should <laughs> yep she was supposed to be the disco queen. They didn't say anything about the dancing queen, but but I get where you're coming from. She uses her light powers on this guy, which knocks uh, he, he he knocks him catatonic. She thinks to herself, "I didn't mean to dazzle him so hard. I've never intentionally used my powers to hurt anyone before. I didn't know." You didn't sing it like dancing queen. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> I did in my heart. The com- the computer don't lie, babe. You are para- powerful. And then shoot the other one. <laughs> uh, consider yourself lucky. My employer wants you alive. He shoots at Dazzler, who is able to do like a cartwheel out of the way due to her fantastic disco moves. I figured the disco life, or I figured life as the disco queen would be exciting, but this is ridiculous. Gotta keep moving on. I don't know what that zap beam is, and I'd really rather not find out. Stay alive. Stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> so the the goon that she she knocked out turns out to be the one that was keeping Phoenix imprisoned within a energy envelope ball. And Phoenix is free to knock the glop of uh, Ruby Quartz goop off of Cyclops' face. Thanks, Phoenix. It was getting a little hard to breathe in there. Cyclops blast them both. Mm-hmm. Now it's your t- uh, uh, You tin-plated tears have had your chance. Now it's the X-Men. Or he, he blasts both of the, the remaining knights, I believe. Wait, I thought only two came in. Yeah, but then there's a third one who falls through the ceiling uh, wrestling with Nightcrawler. Well, wait, though. He... Okay, 
she Dazzler knocks one of the two knights catatonic. Oh yeah. And then Cyclops shoots him. <laughs> yeah, as he's falling to the ground, he's like, "The hell with you!" <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> Kicks him while he's down. <laughs> Somebody give me a hand, Nightcrawler says. This what you had in mind, says Jean, as she uh, rips off the the knight's helmet and knocks him backwards. Looks like it's open season on mutants again. How do you feel, Nightcrawler? Black and blue all over, but I'm like that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I make a funny. Uh, And so he gives the bad news that the rest of the X-Men and the Professor have been captured. So that's when Cyclops says, all right, uh, well, I don't know about that kid. She might not be on the level. She might be luring us into a trap. Hey, hunk, you Avengers or something? You mind cluing me in on what's been going down here? Says Dazzler. We're, uh, X-Men Mist. Call me Dazzler, darling. That's my name. That's what I do. I dazzle people. Have you ever wondered where your light powers come from? No. (laughs) You're a mutant, Dazzler, and people are going to want to kill you. You'd better come with us. Are you you serious? For your own safety. And she does. She goes along with him. She accepts that line. (laughs) Why not? So they get into the Rolls Royce, which is still missing a car door. So it's good that they haven't forgotten that. And the disco explodes. The disco, does it explode? I mean, pieces of it are falling all over the place. A series of explosions shattered the floor of the building. So I think what actually it's just the, uh, the, the knights that are exploding. Could be. I was planning to have Jean telepathically interrogate one of those goons. I guess their masters wanted to make sure I couldn't. Nice people. Yeah. As we learned last uh, issue, failure for a Hellfire Knights is pretty much just exploding. Explosionary. Goodbye, Rhodey. Yeah, so as they're driving away, Cyclops notices the man that kissed Gene. The man Gene kissed in the disco. Is he a part of this puzzle too, or simply my rival for Gene's affections? The first I can deal with, the second I'm not so sure. Either way, I don't like him. I can't deal with a rival. The roll's headlights touch Jason Wingard for a moment, throwing his shadow across the wall behind him. Cyclops automatically notes the image, which we all see, and see it as a very large mastermind. Spoilers! It's right there! Yeah, but... (laughs) But his mind, preoccupied with a host of far more pressing concerns, doesn't register it. Perhaps one day he will remember and recognize who he passed this night. Probably not. I mean, come on. It's a big shadow. But then, however, it may be well far too late for him, for the X-Men, and most importantly for the woman he loves. And that's when Jason Wingard lets out a cackling laugh. (laughs) See, I feel like I can say it this issue because last time it was kind of like very subtle and a very small shadow, very coolly done in the background. This is like front and center in the panel. Like if you don't recognize this, still if you're not if you're not like an old school X-Men fan, I mean, I don't know, it's still a mystery. Like if I if I didn't know this was Mastermind, I there I'm not sure that this shadow would tip me off that this was Mastermind. Really? I mean, yes, I I know it because I know what Mastermind looks like, but if I wasn't thinking of Mastermind, I might not realize it. Uh... Like if I if I didn't already know then I might not realize what this, uh, what these uh, panels were. I feel like 
if I'm a kid in 1979, there's there's three possible scenarios. The first, there's a lot of kids that I'm sure probably did get it. The first is that I get it automatically. Oh my God, it's Mastermind. The second is, who is that? That's not Jason Wingard's profile. Where have I seen that before? And then there's the third who are like, I don't know who that is. I just started collecting a year ago. Well, right, but it's I'm in. The, I would I would be in the second camp. Yeah, you the, think so? Uh, like, oh, that, that's interesting. It doesn't look like Jason Wingard. Hmm. I wonder if it's somebody I know, but I don't know that I would immediately connect it to Mastermind. No, maybe not, but wouldn't you... Uh, you know, I guess you're right, because this particular profile, I feel, definitely comes from, like, one of the first ten issues of X-Men. Yeah, and it's the same... It's the exact same position he's in in the other... Uh, when they do this before, when John Byrne makes the same drawing. It's right. him lighting up a cigarette again. But I, I feel like this, it wasn't a profile. Like It was an actual image that Jack Kirby drew you know, yeah, 20 yeah. years I, ago of, of him probably. talking to like uh, Scarlet Witch and, and, and whatever. Setting the toad off. Yeah, we should find that. <laughs> will we? Who knows? Because, like, I don't know, as a, as a comic book reader, I think it's subtle enough that I wouldn't be like, I must go back and scour my issues for people's outlines that look like this. I think, I don't know. I think if if that had any sort of connection to me, and I'm kind of that way, I would have definitely gone through my comics. And you're probably not alone. I'm sure maybe even the majority would have. But that presumes that I have any of those issues that would have uh, clued me in on who that, well, what that design was. But anyways. Well, I wonder when they're actually going to reveal I don't know. it is. Well, there you go. That's the end of X-Men number, what was that, 130? Next issue, Run for Your Life. Yep. So I don't think we got any mail this week, did we? We did not. So we'll just we'll just skip right past that part. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can go to www.xmenpodcast.com, and you can see all of the episodes there. You can leave us a comment, download the issues. Uh, from there, you can click on links over to iTunes. Uh, in iTunes, you can search for Danger Room. You could subscribe to us there. You could leave us uh, some feedback, five-star review, uh, download whatever episode you're missing, or you can go out to Twitter and follow us at Danger Room Go, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. And finally, you could email us at uh, Red Cat, let's see, what is it? Danger Room at redcatproductions.com. Or uh, last but not least, you could call us at 501-GET-X-MEN. For sure. Bo show. So that'll take us to X-Men or classic X-Men uh, number 36. That is true. Uh, once again, we are in the Dark Phoenix saga with this cover, which I don't feel is a very good representation of the issue that just happened. It's like more of a generic Phoenix cover. Yeah, it's it's red and yellow. It's got silhouettes of Colossus. Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, Cyclops, and Jean. Is that all the X-Men? We're not missing anybody, are we? Some of these X-Men are, well, are barely even in this issue. Yeah, yeah, but this is the current lineup at the time. Banshee's no longer part of the team. Yeah. Hmm. Well, So this is the August 1989 issue. It was published or, uh, on sale on April 25th of 1989. In case you were wondering. I was totally wondering. This particular issue is, or the backstory anyways, is called Outside In. It is written by, and you're going to have to help me with this, it's Fabian Ne. I've, I've never known how to say this. Nesizia? 
I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with Nisiza. Okay. I don't know if that's right though. Somebody, somebody should call us and like lay down the exact pronunciation, and we'll put that on the air. You keep listing off the uh, the credits, and I'm, I'm gonna look it up on Wikipedia. Uh, looks like <clears throat> Mark Bright is the penciler, and he was a uh, he was actually one of the better uh, GI Joe pu- uh, pencilers in oh. the late late nineties. I remember him because he, it was like. The artwork for G.I. Joe was not particularly great. And then all of a sudden, it was like, wow, this guy's actually kind of decent. It went in waves, that's for sure. It got it went from not great to really bad to tolerable. <laughs> he was in the tolerable camp. Yeah. Above tolerable. Even. Joe Rubenstein is the inker. Joe Rosen's letter. Glennis Oliver is the colorist. By the way, uh, Glennis Oliver is, uh, is, as you were right, Glennis Ween. Yeah. Because if you look over, Dazzler is now credited to Glennis Oliver Color, but in the previous issue that we just read, it was uh, Glennis, Glennis Weed. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know I'm right, but thanks for acknowledging good, it. Good. Good connection. Good. <laughs> good connector skills. Mm. I'm. So... There is not a pronunciation guide on the Wikipedia page. Darn. There you go, listeners. Write in and let us know. This issue is actually not terrible. It it takes us away from kind of the spacey, trippy crap we've been reading lately and just gives us kind of a down-to-earth story. Um, it's called Outside In, like I said, and it's basically it's a Moira McTaggart banshee tale that takes place uh, immediately following the death of uh, Joe McTaggart and uh, her son, who we learn his name is Kevin McTaggart. I thought this one was pretty good, um, mostly. Which is funny because, like, we can finally use, like, that artist that we've had for the past 35 issues. What? Except John... for one. Who, John Bolton? Yeah, John Bolton. Why did we lose John Bolton for the story that's actually finally <laughs> decent? I have no idea. He looked at the script and he's like, well, this is kind of normal. I don't want to draw this. <laughs> There's nothing wacky for me to draw here. <laughs> Uh, and it's kind of told from both of their perspectives in the beginning. It's, she's talk, it's from Moira's perspective. She's sad that she's lost her son and her husband. She knows that uh, uh, Sean is there, but she keeps ignoring him. There's nothing he can do. She doesn't, he doesn't understand the depths of her pain. Nope. She's, she's just angry, and she's taking it out. She's lashing out at Banshee. So they flip over to Mirror Island, and Banshee starts telling it from his perspective that he's never really had a home, but this is where it is. And uh, he's trying to comfort her, talk to her, be there for her, be a good guy. So she he brings her some tea, and she's like... She snaps at him. I want to be alone and mourn. That's why I sent Alex and Lorna and Jamie to the main line for supplies I don't need. And Banshee gets upset and leaves and Moira thinks to herself, apologize, you witch, say something. And she doesn't apologize or say anything. And instead she looks at the paper called Cloning, the Possibilities and the Ramifications. (laughs) Yeah. This is a paper that she wrote or that she just happened to find? And she found it on the internet. Huh. This looks like an interesting thing to do. And she goes and works out. He's thinking to himself that blah, 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 his powers, and I wish you would help me, and she's crazy. What is she about to do? The most important thing that happens that he thinks to himself on this page was, she thought I was dead for weeks, and I didn't even bother calling her because I was afraid to let her in. I felt so emasculated losing my powers. Couldn't let her help me. That's Decent. Yeah, no, no, that's all good. 
Yeah, I mean, that's like, you know, that's a good reason why Banshee didn't call her for that whole time. It just took him 10 years to come up with that. (laughs) (laughs) Can't can't let her make the same mistake I did then. We'll handle this situation together before or we'll let it tear us apart. So she go, he goes to find Moira to have this conversation, but he finds that she is no longer drinking her tea on the couch. Nope, she's in the lab, and uh, she's looking at her son and thinking to herself, it doesn't have to be like this the second time around. Um, it is revealed that the uh, the the c- conceiving of... Oh, did we know his name was Kevin? We didn't, but we saw that on the gravestone earlier in this particular issue. But I'm pretty sure Kevin was not mentioned in canon. So Kevin McTaggart is her son's name, and... She- we found out last issue that he was conceived, or a few issues ago, that he was conceived in an act of hatred and violence, which we were rather curious what that meant. And it is revealed here that uh, she was raped by Joe McTaggart, Correct. as you speculated. Yes. Crazy. But they could not say in the 70s, I suppose. Or maybe they just didn't know or I have no idea. No, I, I think it was pretty heavily implied. I think you're right, yeah. But, but they they I, got I, married. I just think they didn't want to say it out, spell it out. But they do you think they got married because she got pregnant, or do you think they got married, and she was like, "No, Joe, not yet," and then he forced himself upon her. That's the part I'm confused about. Well, they they uh yeah, I don't know. They explicitly refer to it here as a rape. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming that he hit her and raped her. Oh, and sure. Or something like that. That's awful. It, yeah, it's pretty dark, which is probably why they kind of... Danced around it? Yeah. Yeah. So Sean goes to the laboratory and he types in the passcode. It's interesting. The passcode is on a numeric keypad, but it says S-U-C-R-E-T-S. Super. Well, I think that's his password, but he he has it memorized by, like, the telephone oh. numbers. I just think... Not it's... sure why that's his password. Do you think it's Sucrets because that's a, a lozenge and he's taking a lot of lozenges for his throats? <laughs> that's kind of clever. <laughs> yeah, I just came... I just thought of that. As I read it, I was like, Sucrets? I liked Sucrets when I was growing up. I wonder why Sucrets is being used here. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways. Well, if that's true, you go, Fabian. You're, you're going to go far in this comic biz. <laughs> just stay away from Rod Liefeld. <laughs> So he, uh, he, his password's been changed, and she's like, or uh, I, I guess he doesn't quite know what's going on at this point. Moira, does he? don't be playing these games with me, Moira. Have it your way, woman. And he walks away, and she says, I intend to. So he goes into her room and starts flipping through her photo album, sees a picture of her and Joe, and they look pretty happy. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure they were. They didn't. They were happy at some point. Yeah. Just by the, by the time of the supposed uh, uh, hatred and violence, I guess they were just hating and yeah. not, not happy with each other. She, it, she did say in a couple of issues ago that uh, he was the most beautiful man she'd ever met. So definitely there was some sort of attraction or, or whatever in the beginning. Right. There's a picture of her with the professor. The professor's clowning around. And Banshee's like, oh, I didn't know you had it in you. And then she sees a picture of her... Or he, there's a picture of her getting the Nobel Peace Prize. Is that supposed to be somebody? I have no she's idea. With? Okay. Some Swedish guy. And there's, I don't know, it looks like there's some missing pictures. And that's when he realizes that she's going to try to clone Kevin McDaggart, I think. You're, you're planning to bring back more than you left with. You're crazy. 
So, so we flip over to the lab, and uh, Kevin's dried-up body is in a sealed tank. There's a little knife that comes and takes a tissue sample. The, another machine pulls it away, and she's analyzing the sample to see if she can, if there's enough cellular information to clone her son. She yes, finds, yes, I can have my son again. She finds out that she can. Uh, all right then, Moira, I may be no Nobel Prize winner, but I do know something about electronics. I taught Wolverine how to hack a bomb once. <laughs> Was it a bomb? I don't remember. <laughs> and overriding your system is no diff- not as difficult as you may be thinking. Bingo. Sean comes in and Moira is hesitating, dumping the cell sample into the uh, ooze. Of sorts that will regenerate him, I suppose. The secret of the ooze, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the new uh, mac and cheese vanilla ice commercial? I I did. It was very funny. (laughs) I thought so, too. Did you you watch the making of? I did. That was also very funny. Yes, it is. (laughs) Oh, boy. Good old vanilla ice. His memories of that movie were particularly amusing. (laughs) So, yeah, Moira's hesitating. Sean's like, loses something in the conception, though, doesn't it? Sean, you know. Aye, what you're doing, though, hardly. Why? I'm giving my son a second chance. Yeah, and they have a little conversation back and forth about the pros and cons of this. And she says that she's technically not cloning him, that he has a... It's because of his own power, he'll be able to recreate himself. Yeah, something like that. And maybe this time he'll be able to be uh, innocent. Think about it, Sean. An innocent babe born without the violent taint of his evil father's rape. So there it is, right there on Front Street. No no bones about it. That's what happened. She's attributing that whole act as the reason why he went evil in the first place, which I still kind of find a little weird. But Well, I mean, she's kind of acknowledged in that it's part partially because of the way that she raised him. Yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. Years he spent isolated, prodded, and poked, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's because he was separated. Yeah, I don't well, know. Up for everything I did wrong. And then she passes out, dropping the... The sample falls sample to the ground the and crashes. They hug. Oh, Moira, love, you didn't do anything wrong. You worked so hard to give your son a normal life and you couldn't. But uh, you should help me because I've got powers. I've got problems with my powers. Yeah, I could use some help. And she's like, oh, maybe the doctor can look at it. So they're going to go upstairs and play doctor. (laughs) Yeah. So they're walking out there, like, talking about building their future together and how they're going to take care of each other. And that's when Moira turns around. She presses a button to release the air chamber of Kevin's body, which pretty much, uh, I don't know, emaciates the body. Is that the right word? Yes. Uh, Yes. That would appear to be what it does. Yeah. So essentially what we're saying is that the body is no longer going to be a viable clone candidate. Right. And so there you go. You we're saying the glorious times begin tomorrow? That I did. Well, let's say they begin tonight. Not sure if that's a sect thing, but I hope not because she just, like, watched her son kind of drivel away into nothingness. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that might have been kind of a catharticism, like, oh, okay, well, out with the old, in with the new. I don't <laughs> I don't know. You. <laughs> so there you go. That's, uh, that's, uh, that was a decent classic X-Men story. Um, 
Yeah, not bad. I don't know that it needed to be told, but I mean, given the stuff that we've been shoveled uh, uh, of late, this was definitely a welcome change. As far as these stories go, it 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 didn't uh, confuse anything. It didn't make anything worse. <laughs> exactly. It it just kind of reemphasized. I guess some of what we already know, and I guess actually lent some emotional credibility to the situation that happened a couple of issues ago in canon. So, yeah, appreciative. All right. So, Adam, did you do any additional reading? or I did. As, as promised, I read uh, Avengers 185 to 187, which finally reveal more about Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Yeah. Uh, John Byrne is on pencil for these issues, and we begin with 185, uh, which leaves off where we left off with 184 with the Avengers and the Pier. Uh, Beast is late for a date with Melissa, Joni, and Pam, all at the same time, I guess. Wow. And um, Jasper's, what is that his name? Jarvis. Jarvis says, "I must say, Master Beast seems to over seems to have overcome his former melancholia quite uh, thoroughly." But I know what they mean by melancholia. <laughs> what do they mean? He used to be gay. Now he's not. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> That's what I figure. Or he's compensating. Yeah, something like that. I, I'm not gay. Captain America. Look, I got three dates. I'm all man. That's why they can't just come out and say it. It seems to have overcome his former melancholia. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's what's going on with Beast. And uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are now in East Transia with Django Maximov, as you'll recall. Yep. And um, everybody there kind of remembers. Uh, they know them because Bob and Madeline Frank used to live there. That was Wizard and Miss America, old-timey superheroes were supposedly the the parents of uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Um, the East Transia is also the home of Wondagore Mountain. Have you ever heard of Wondagore Mountain? Yes, I, but I, I don't know in what context. Wondagore Mountain is the home of the High Evolutionary. Ah, uh, okay, yep. That's where he hangs out and does stuff like apparently turn uh, people in animals into people. Okay. Because uh, there are Pietro is having a couple of sets of memories. One, he does kind of remember this the, that the story that Django was telling about being raised by him raising them as uh, gypsies. He does kind of remember that, but he also remembers, or he also knows that Wanda remembers this bizarre story about uh, Bob and Madeline going to one hiking to Wondagore Mountain to save uh, she uh, madeline is pregnant uh and a human cow uh gives birth or uh, i guess births madeline's two children wanda and pietro and then dies really that's what wanda remembers oh okay that's messed up pietro Pietro is not sure what is true and what isn't true how could wanda remember that after all because she was she was an infant sure uh meanwhile Wanda is sleeping in the other room, topless, of course, because that's what you do when you're a Marvel character. Mm -hmm. And uh, her room is invaded by Mordred, the magician, who takes her up to up up Wondagore Mountain, where she will uh, supposedly find some things out about her past. Is she still topless? No, he actually, uh, as a magician, he is able to 
uh, put her costume on her. Nice. Using a wave of his hand and a mighty path. Um, but it turns out he's a bad guy and he is using her for some sort of sacrifice or something. We don't find out until next issue. Pietro wakes up the next morning and goes racing up the mountain looking for her, but hits a force field, which causes him to fall back down the mountain. And when he wakes up, he is being uh, brought, given tea by the cow woman from his memories. Hmm. Next issue, we find out that Bova is the cow woman. Her name is Bova, Bovine. Okay. Sure, uh-huh. sure, sure, yeah. And she tells the backstory of, uh, I, I was to care for the children of the high evolutionaries, new men, which I guess are the animal men, for he had more pressing matters to attend to. Uh, matters that kept the, the, him occupied in the tall towers of Wondergore the night when a visitor arrived asking sanctuary. Her name was Magda, a woman heavy with child and sorrow. She told of a husband who had gained strange abilities, powers that had sent him raving with desire to rule the world. Fearful that his madness would corrupt the child, he wasn't even aware she carried, she had fled. And having heard of Wondergore, she sought asylum here and was granted it. I cared for her myself over the next few weeks. We became very close. So that when the time came to midwife for her, it was more privilege than duty. I helped to deliver twin infants that night. Pietro and your sister, Wanda. Oh. Magda was pleased with her offspring, and yet it seemed a pleasure tinged with resolve. Thus it came to a little shock when days later, I found her gone, leaving only a note expressing fear that if she remained alive, her unnamed husband might force knowledge of their children from her. If she remained alive, so she went and killed herself or something? She just disappears. Um, so we don't... Yeah, I guess I guess she must have killed herself. I didn't even notice that. Hmm. Yeah. They don't show it or anything. Sure, sure. They show um, the, the cow looking out a window at footprints, holding a note. So she must have gone out into the storm in the snow by herself and maybe just stayed out there. I don't know. Does Magda ever come back? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. I took the children to the Lord High Evolutionary. He was weary as if it was from some great conflict, which I wonder what they're referring to, mm. but agreed to help. He thus summoned a visiting couple from the village below, Robert and Mag- Madeline Frank, who were themselves expecting a child. It was the Lord's plan to give all three children to the Franks. However, uh, Bova performed once more as midwife, only this time the results were tragic. The child was horrid, deformed, and thankfully stillborn. The mother survived the rigors of that terrible birth by only moments. Uh, for, uh, Bob Frank is uh, flees Wondegore in grief, and as the wizard, he free, flees really fast. <laughs> And that's when the high evolutionary decides to give the two children to gypsies, the Maximovs, Django and his wife. Okay. So he does raise them. And and the rest of the story we learned last time. He raised them, got thrown out because he was kind of a sorcerer, and uh, uh, or the people were getting rid of the gypsies and burned down the gypsy camp, and the children fled and kind of raised themselves. All right. So, whew. That's good that stuff. That. Um, turns out that Wanda is now part of some sort of uh, possession thing, and she gets possessed by uh, Kithan, who has something to do. Have you ever heard of the books of Darkhold? Mm, doesn't ring a bell. There's some sort of Marvel thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, when I was reading Ghost Rider, 
there was some sort of book about there was a comic with remember when ghostwriters spun off like five or six books and they were all part of like the midnight suns or something like that yes darkhold was one of the books and it was about this book darkhold okay so i don't know if this is the first appearance of this book darkhold or if it's appeared otherwise but kathan has something to do with it okay so wanda uh fights mordred and ends up killing him uh, by knocking him off of a cliff but he suddenly flies and is able to get him uh, Wanda possessed by Kathan. Pietro calls the Avengers, but uh, Henry Gyrich refuses to let them go until Cap calls the president, asking in a favor. <laughs> wow. Embarrassing Henry Peter Gyrich. It was amusing. Hmm. Uh, Avengers 187, the Avengers arrive. Beast gets separated and finds an animal skull wearing a helmet and ponders it for a while. And we get a, a big long backstory about Kathan, who uh, scribed the Darkhold using uh, his laser finger. <laughs> and apparently his sister uh, is in order, they both wanted to be immortal. So in order to do this, uh, Kathan put himself into the Darkhold book. And Kathan infused herself into all her essence into all living things, surviving in legend as Mother Earth. That was interesting. Hmm. Uh, the Darkhold book is passed down through the ages to Morgan Le Fay, and then it is uh, someone from Morgan Le Fay's band named Magnus, who I don't know may or may not relate to Magneto. I don't think so. He is but... known as Magnus for a while, but. I don't know if they're going to tie this back or not, but this guy's name is Magnus, and he keeps appearing in this story, but he doesn't look anything like Magneto, so I don't know. And this okay. is like a really long time ago, too, so I don't think it's him, but maybe it's like some sort of connected thing. Sure. Magnus makes himself... Uh, Magnus hides the book away at a place where nobody can get to it unless they're... Uh, as, as long as they have evil intent. But Mordred originally did not have uh, evil intent and therefore was able to find the Darkhold, and the Darkhold uh, takes over his soul. Uh, Magnus works for the High Evolutionary. Then the Kathan battles the High Evolutionary as somebody named the Other. I don't know who the Other is. Uh, maybe some of the fans out there know some more Marvel mythology or where do, where do you even go to find this stuff? It looks like the High Evolutionary fought some sort of battle with the Other using their weird the Knights of Wondergore and technology and stuff. All this, all this stuff seems vaguely familiar to me. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Does it seem vaguely familiar to you at all? It does. Yes. But I read some of the, uh, remember the evolutionary war. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of that was mentioned. Okay. Maybe that's why. Well, uh, shortly after this battle between the High Evolutionary and Kathan, Wanda is born, uh, and he, she, he keeps referring to him as a science spawn power. So her mutant power, I guess, is science spawned, or maybe it has something to do with the High Evolutionary. I don't know. Hmm. But he is the one who infuses uh, magic into her powers, hoping that one day her magic potential will take over her uh, science potential, which eventually it does. Mm-hmm. And that's now Kathan is able to draw her back to Wondagore and take over her. This is when Beast shows up as a knight of Wondagore. He realizes that the animal costume that he had discovered was, in fact, a costume. And he finds the rest of the costume and some sort of flying device and comes 
flying in, spears the Darkhold, and that's when uh, the Avengers are able to attack everybody, uh, Mordred and Kathan, and they battle for a while. Django's there for some reason, and he reaches into his pockets and realizes that the doll that he created to trap Anna's, uh, Wanda's soul in before, who he keeps referring to her as Anna, um, it has somehow the essence of Wanda has gone into back into that doll. So Wanda is now the doll, and Kathan has Wanda's actual body. Hmm. Uh, somehow Pietro figures that he can... I, I don't know. He, he holds the... I, this is where the book loses me. <laughs> <laughs> he, he holds the doll up to uh, Kathan, hoping that uh, that will automatically have the Wanda come back into her own body and Kathan go into the body of the doll, which doesn't happen... But then all the Avengers gather around Pietro and they all put an arm on him and they they all like they all use their a battle of wills and they're able to bring Wanda's body back into her own body and the body of Kathan into the doll, which then Pietro runs up the mountain and flings into the mountain and uh, Wanda then blows up the top of the mountain, which crushes Kathan. And uh, yeah, that's the end of the story. Wow. Mordred becomes uh, brain dead, mindless as an infant. And so Bova decides to take care of him. And the Avengers go home. Let's go home. Seems like quite a story. It was very convoluted. It was good up until that third part in which it got all silly or, or difficult, confusing. Yeah. But yeah, a little, a little bit more. And it was, it was interesting. I did a little bit of research that... Avengers 186 came out in August of 1979, mm-hmm. and the uh, in September of 1979, X-Men 125 came out, which featured that last appearance of Magneto, where he sees Magda mm-hmm. on the, uh, the view screen. Oh. So I think they kind of synced those up together. Okay. So if you were reading both, ish- like both Avengers and X-Men, you would be like, oh, whoa, that's Magda too. There's two Magda actually does kind of look like um, the Scarlet Witch. Okay, interesting. So yeah, enough of that. Woo. Woo. That was an update, but that's that's all that's all very uh, interesting, important details about those characters that I certainly never knew. Yeah, it's definitely fun to find this stuff out. I kind of want to go into the backstory of like, may wonder if there's more to be revealed when uh, Pietro and Wanda first join the Avengers. No I idea. Go back and read some of those, but probably not. <laughs> Mostly, but... I'll just talk about it. All right. Anything else? No, that's it. All right, then, folks. Until next week, the danger room is closed. Yo, disco! Yo, disco! Yo, disco!